Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. My name is Michael, and I co-lead the Young Adults Ministry here at City Reach. It's my pleasure to be uh, bringing you this sermon today, continuing our series in Simon Peter, uh, The Reed and the Rock. And as we get started today, I want to ask you a question to kick things off. How comfortable are you with change? How comfortable are you with change? I like to think I'm pretty comfortable with change. Uh, I deal with it pretty well. I've had uh, some experience in my life dealing with change, uh, having different jobs, uh, living in different cities, uh, being a part of different church communities. Um, my wife and I, we moved to this church a little over six months ago, and we're really happy with our decision. It's been a good change that we've really enjoyed. It's a change that I think we were well prepared for. But we've also got a bigger change coming later this year, which I feel much, much less prepared for. For those who don't know, my wife is 34 weeks pregnant with our first baby. Uh, we're having a girl. We also like the boy's name Levi, but we're having a girl, so that, uh, the Crinians can have that. But of course, it's a very exciting time for us, talking about baby names, and, but it's also been a very informative time for us. Uh, Liz has a couple of apps on her phone. Uh, each week, they tell her about the transformation that's happening within her. Uh, so the apps, they tell her you know, what symptoms she might be experiencing this week, what aches and pains she might be having. Uh, they also tell us about uh, the development of the baby, what things are happening, what growth uh, is occurring that week, and also how big the baby is. And this is usually done by comparing the size of the baby to various fruits and vegetables. So we've had a little uh, grape, uh, then an avocado, now we've got a little uh, button-up pumpkin. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to have a watermelon soon enough. Um, but as we've been learning more and more about pregnancy and the growth and development of the baby, it's reminded me just a bit about learning about uh, animal life cycles in primary school. I feel like everyone from a very early age, everyone learns about the life cycles of butterflies, about the life cycles of frogs. These two animals chosen in particular because they go through radical and incredible transformations over the course of their life. Remind you of something you learned when you were about this big, the gross, wiggly, hairy caterpillar enters the cocoon, has no wings, but there it transforms and it emerges a beautiful winged butterfly. And similarly, the tadpole it grows its hind legs, then it grows its front legs, its tail shrinks, and it's transformed into an adult frog. Now, thinking about life cycles, incredible transformations, we've been doing this series on Simon Peter, the reed and the rock, for quite a while now. Would you believe this is actually the 10th sermon uh, in this series? As we've been going through this series, it feels to me like we've been watching and we've been going through the life cycle, the transformation of Simon Peter himself. If you can remember back to the very early part of the series, he was Simon the sinner. So we looked at a passage from Luke chapter 5 where Simon, his brother Andrew, they've been fishing all night and they've had no success. They're so tired and they come in to shore in the morning and there is Jesus. And he gets into the boat and tells them, we're going back out to the deep again and cast it out the nets one more time, give it one more go. And a bit reluctantly they do so and the brothers, well they pull in such a large catch of fish that their nets are at breaking point, their boat is beginning to sink. 
And this miraculous catch of fish, it really, it completely shocks Simon to his core. And he gets on his knees before Jesus and he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Meet Simon the sinner. And as we've gone through this series, slowly but surely, we've seen a change occur within Simon. We saw his three times denial of Jesus leading up to the crucifixion, and then his three times restoration after the resurrection. And then last week, we had the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Pastor Graham led us through that. And all of these things, they've transformed Simon the sinner, so that now, in the book of Acts, we encounter Peter the preacher. His life cycle, his transformation has changed him from Simon the sinner to Peter the preacher. And today we're looking at chapters 3 and 4 of Acts. They detail the second and the third sermons of Peter the preacher. Two for one sermon package deal today. So let's get into the text, see what God has to say to us through his word. The first point that I want to make, the first point in the life cycle of this sermon, if you will, is to take note of what prompts Peter the preacher to kick off into his sermon. What prompts Peter is an undeniable transformation. Continuing on from the last couple of weeks in Acts 1 and Acts 2, we've picked up today in Acts 3. Jesus has ascended to heaven and he's commissioned his apostles to be his witnesses to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And he's filled them with the Holy Spirit. He's given them the power to go and carry out this mission. And at this point in the story, the apostles are still in Jerusalem. And on a given day, sometime after Pentecost, we're not given specific details, but one day, Peter and John, they go to the temple, and it's a time of prayer. It's three in the afternoon. And as they're entering the temple, they come across a man who has been lame his entire life. Now, this disability, this injury, it means that he can't walk. So he has to be carried everywhere. It means that he can't work. So he has to beg. He's in a desperate situation, and he has no power to change it. He's been this way for over 40 years. The best he can do is be carried, presumably by some family or some friends, and placed at one of the entrances to the temple so that he can beg from those going in. His hope is that those people on their way into worship, their way into pray, they might feel the pull of their conscience, the tug of the heartstrings, and give him a little something so that he can get through the day. And he's there begging at the temple gates day in and day out. So much so that he's recognisable to those who are in Jerusalem, those people that go to the temple often. And when this man, when he saw Peter and John heading towards him, he did what he usually did. He asked them for money. And it's at this point that Peter shows us the transformation that's taken place within him since he began following Jesus. Peter shows us how much he has learned from Jesus in his time following him and watching him. Because not long after calling Simon the sinner to come and follow him in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching in a crowded house 
and a paralyzed man is lowered through the roof. Now you know you're in a desperate situation when you've got to be lowered through a roof on the off chance that you might be healed. But even in this desperate situation, Jesus gives the paralyzed man more than he bargained for. The paralyzed man comes to Jesus hoping for healing and Jesus goes above and beyond. He gives the paralyzed man both healing and forgiveness for his sins. And Peter was there that day. Peter saw what Jesus did. And so here, in a similar situation with a desperate man, Peter shows us that he was paying attention to his teacher. Like Jesus does, Peter gives the lame man more than he bargained for. The man asked for money, and Peter goes above and beyond. See Peter's response to the man in verse 6. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And after this, Peter takes the man by the hand and he helps him to his feet. We're told that immediately, immediately, this man whose feet and ankles have not allowed him to walk for over 40 years, well, they become strong. This man, he's, he's never taken a step in his life, but now he is walking. And then he starts leaping. And excitingly, he's bouncing around the temple, praising God. You know, if our baby learns to walk and run and jump this quickly, we're going to have a huge amount of trouble keeping up. But you can understand why he's so excited, can't you? He's just experienced a miraculous healing, an extreme transformation. Not only is it extreme, it's undeniable. It's plain and obvious for all to see. Verses 9 and 10, we're told that all the people in the temple, they all see him walking and jumping and praising God. And they recognized him as the same man who regularly sat and begged at the temple gates. And they are filled with wonder and amazement, the radical transformation that's taken place within him. And it's this undeniable transformation that is then the launching point for Peter's second sermon in the book of Acts. But before we get into what Peter the preacher had to say, I want you to note how much emphasis is given to the fact that the lame man is healed and that it was undeniable, plain and obvious for all to see. So follow along if you have your Bible open in front of you. Chapter 3, verse 16, there Peter says, By faith in Jesus' name, this man has been made strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now going further along, now it's the next day, Peter and John have been detained overnight and the temple officials, they want to silence Peter's preaching. Yet they're having great difficulty because as it says in chapter four, verse 14, but seeing the man who had been healed standing there beside them, there was nothing they could say in opposition. Again in verse 16, A notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
even though these temple officials, they were opposed to Peter and John, even though they denied Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and even though they wanted to silence Peter and stop his preaching, they could not deny the miraculous healing that had taken place by the power of Jesus' name. The evidence was standing right there, plain and obvious for all to see. And at this point, I want to ask you, perhaps even to challenge you with this question. Has the name and power of Jesus changed you? Has the name and power of Jesus transformed you? Because as we see here with the lame man and the transformed Simon Peter, Jesus is in the business of meeting people and totally changing their lives. So when I think about this question for myself, I think about how I wanted to control my life, control what direction it was going to go in. So I used to work for the Air Force. Every couple of years, it would come time for a new posting. Uh, A few years back, came time for a new posting, and a new job was coming up to work on the brand new fighter jets the Air Force was buying. And this job was going to be based over in Florida, in America. I had good experience that would have uh, lined up well with this new job. I love American sports, Uh, the opportunity to go and live overseas for a few years. It was all very exciting. Uh, My colleagues, they're telling me, you've got to apply for this job, you're perfect for it, you're totally going to get it. I applied, and I waited for the response, and waited. One day the email comes, and I didn't get it. And then I'm sitting there reading the email with a blank expression thinking, okay, What now? Now I have to tell my colleagues, my friends, everyone who was excited for me that I didn't get it. Well, that'll be fun. And I became really upset, really bitter about not getting the job that I wanted. My plans hadn't worked out. And I stopped enjoying being where I was because after all, I wanted to be somewhere else. But after some time, some reflection, some wise words from a friend, I realized I need to let go of my bitterness and change my attitude. I needed to get on board with the plans that God had for me rather than the plans that I had for myself. This transformed my perspective, my attitude towards the direction of my life. Yeah, I still make plans for the future, but now I hold them much more loosely, knowing that God will have me where he wants me when he wants me to be there. And this is part of the story of how God has transformed me. And it's a great joy each and every time someone's baptized here at church. As we get to hear them share their story about how Jesus has brought transformation into their own life. As believers, our lives and our testimonies are powerful personal examples of the transformative power of Jesus. And so again, I ask each of you, has the name and the power of Jesus changed you? Has the name and the power of Jesus transformed you? Or are there parts of your life that you're still holding on to, unwilling to surrender them over to him? Because Jesus loves you just as you are, yes, that is true. But his desire is not for you to stay as you are. His offer is always, come, follow me. And along the way, I'm going to teach you, 
and I'm going to shape you and I'm going to change you. Maybe some of you want to experience that change, but you feel like you're in the same situation as the lame man. You're stuck in a desperate situation which you are powerless to change. And on your own, you're right. You are powerless to transform yourself. But hear this comfort. You're not on your own. Jesus' power is present with you in the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's his power and not yours that has the power to bring transformation, to bring real change. What's more, you don't have to be a finished product just yet. As we've seen in this series on Simon Peter, that transformation may occur by taking two steps forward and one and a half steps back. But by the gift of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of the community of believers around us, together we seek, keep, we seek to keep pressing forward in our walk with Jesus, becoming more and more like him as we mature along the journey. An undeniable transformation. That was the first point, life cycle of the sermon today. Next point in the sermon's life cycle is an empowered message. So look at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 8 with me. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables Peter to do something which earlier he could not do by his own strength. Peter's denial of Jesus in the hours leading up to his crucifixion, we've mentioned it often throughout this series. But here, in stark contrast, the Holy Spirit enables Peter to declare that he belongs to Jesus and that his hearers need to belong to Jesus too. So let's have a closer look at what Peter has to say. In the passage we're looking at today, Peter gives two sermons, longer one on the day of the healing in chapter 3, and then another more condensed message in chapter 4. So let's look briefly at each message in turn. In chapter 3, it struck me how fired up Peter is. No more timid Peter by the fire next to the servant girl. Now he is speaking with some real passion, and he's ready to stick it to the man. Follow along with me in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. The highlights on the screen are there to show you how Peter contrasts the work of God and on the flip side, the work of humanity. See in the yellow that three times, three times Peter describes what his listeners did to Jesus. You delivered him over, even though he was innocent. You denied him, the holy and righteous one. And you killed the very author of life. But in glorious contrast, God 
glorified his servant Jesus and God raised him up from the dead. This is a bold message. It's a challenging message. This is the gospel message. The gospel message which proclaims the mighty and gracious acts of God which conquer over the schemes and the failings of humanity. And it is by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that he enables Peter to preach this message boldly. And then just as he does in chapter 2, as Pastor Graham highlighted for us last week, Peter calls for his listeners to respond to his message by repenting, by renewing their mind, turning back to God, receiving forgiveness of sins that is offered in Jesus' name. And it's often the case when the gospel is spoken boldly, there was a mixed reaction. Positively, many who heard the message believed. They repented. And the size of the early church grew by about 2,000 people. On the other hand were the Sadducees. Now, it's an important detail that this miraculous healing and Peter's sermon takes place within the temple because the temple was the power base for the Sadducees. They were the religious authorities that had orchestrated the death of Jesus only a few months earlier. And now it's those same authorities, they've detained Peter and John, they've kept them overnight for questioning, and so surely memories of Jesus' trial and his death they would have come racing back to the apostles' minds. They could have been afraid. They could have given in. But despite all of this, the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to preach boldly. See, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter finishes his second sermon with a punchy declaration that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Hear the uniqueness of the gospel message. No one else, no other name, only Jesus. There are not many paths up the mountain that will eventually all lead to the same point. There's only one path, one saviour, one Lord. It's a bold message. It's a true message. It's the gospel message and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so for us who are here today who are believers, do you realize that you have the same Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has been given to you to change you but also to empower you so that you can proclaim the gospel boldly. Like Peter, the Holy Spirit enables us to do what we could not do in our own strength. As a child growing up in the 90s, uh, Space Jam was one of my favourite movies. You know, Michael Jordan, the best and most uh, talented, famous basketball player in the world, he gets sucked into the world of the Looney Tunes and he's got to help Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck and co uh, win a basketball game against the gigantic Monstars. And in the first half of the game, even with Michael Jordan on their team, the Tune Squad is getting smashed. The Monstars are totally dominating. And at halftime, Jordan, he's trying to inspire the Looney Tunes to rally, to make a comeback, 
and they just want to quit and give up. He's having no luck. But whilst Michael Jordan, he's speaking to the team, Bugs, uh, he goes and fills up a water bottle with ordinary water straight from the tap, and then he slaps a label on it that says, Michael's secret stuff. When all the Looney Tunes, they believe, this is the magic formula that makes Michael Jordan such a great basketball player. And they all drink the secret stuff, and it gives them muscles, gives them belief, gives them confidence that they can go out in the second half and win the game. The Holy Spirit is our secret stuff. Not a gimmick like Michael's secret stuff, but the real empowering Spirit of God who enables us to do much more than we can do on our own. He empowers each one of us to be gospel proclaimers, to further the message that salvation is found in no one else besides Jesus. Well, the third and final point in the life cycle of today's sermon is a request for boldness. The undeniable transformation of the lame man meant that as much as the Sadducees, as much as they wanted to silence Peter and John and to stop them from preaching in the name of Jesus, they didn't have a leg to stand on and they were forced to let them go. And so when the apostles returned to the rest of the believers, Peter and John, they tell them everything that's happened over the past couple of days. And the response from this growing band of believers is to jointly raise their voices in prayer. Now, what could they have prayed for? Given the increasing hostility and opposition from the religious authorities towards the gospel message, towards those who are preaching it, well, the early church could have prayed for the strength of their opposition to fade away. Or they could have prayed for protection from the increasing hostility. Perhaps even for God to comfort them and help them endure what was about to come their way. But notice what they do pray for. First, they praise the sovereignty of God. The earthly authorities, they'd threatened them, they tried to silence them, but those earthly authorities are subject to a higher authority. And the plans of humanity cannot overcome the plans of God. And then second, read with me chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The believers pray that the Lord would enable them to continue to speak his word with all boldness. You know, back in verse 13, the boldness of Peter and John was noted by those who saw them preach the gospel in enemy territory. And now the other believers are asking for this same boldness. It's like when I was growing up with my two younger brothers. If any one of us had something desirable that the others didn't, we wanted what they had. So it was a hot summer's day and one of us has a nice cold ice cream. The other two are like, where did you get that? And how can I get one? We didn't want to be the one who missed out. If you have siblings, you're a parent of multiple children, I'm sure you can relate. 
If we see that someone else has something good, we want to know how we can have it too. And that's what the early church did. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and said, Lord, we want that same boldness to speak your word continually. And for us sitting here today, do we have that same prayer? If we examine our own prayers, how often do we pray, Lord, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with boldness? Because just like the early church, we too live in a time of increasing hostility and opposition towards the gospel message. It does require boldness to share the gospel in our culture. It's not an easy thing to do. Telling people that salvation is found in no one else except Jesus, that's a provocative message. It always has been, and it always will be. But remember, we have God's secret stuff. And so, just as the early church did after hearing about the boldness of Peter, I want to challenge you to pray for boldness in sharing the gospel in your own life and circumstances. In a moment, I'm going to give you all the opportunity to do just that, to put this into practice straight away. Because as we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, God delights in hearing this prayer for boldness. He responds positively to it. We read that he poured out the Holy Spirit on the early church. They were transformed and they were empowered to speak the word of God boldly. We have a God who hears and answers prayers for boldness. And so, take a minute now to bring yourself before him. To pray, Lord, enable me your servant, to speak your word boldly. I'll give you a minute to do that before I conclude in prayer. Let me bring us together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the one who has power in his name, power to bring healing to those who are suffering and in desperate situations, power to transform us, uh, to empower us to do things that we could not do by our own strength. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, for the part we have to play in the world of Uh, proclaiming your message, bringing joy to this city. We ask that you would empower us to speak your word boldly, that we would be your messengers in this city. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.